Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your brother, Alan. I'm Casey. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives. On theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're going to be talking about gay conversion therapy. I know it's a topical issue, and we're going to get into that. And for our segment... uh, Casey's idea is we are going to play a little game called How Gay Are You? Is that the correct title of the, yes. the game, Casey? It's more like it's more like what, what kind, of, kind gay of gay are you? are you? Okay. All right. Well, that'll... With two straight men, this should be so that exciting. That will be very fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, just a reminder, if you didn't listen to our last episode, we are starting a street team. So basically what that is, is on September 22nd at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a Sunday. We're just going to be doing a quick little, like, chat, get together, webinar. I don't know what we're calling it. But what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff that's happening here at Irenicast. We have some exciting things happening in the future. And uh, we're just looking for people who want to help out and lend their expertise and their, you know, their thoughts on the show and how it's moving forward. So if you're interested in being a part of that, just checking it out, email me at podcast at com, And in the subject line, just put street team. There's more information in the show notes at irenicast.com slash 150 to get all of that going. And also at the end of this episode, stay tuned because we have some new calls to action at the end of the show. There might be some merch around the corner so maybe you want to maybe you want to listen to that and see exactly what's happening here so again this week we're going to be talking gay conversion therapy and our segment is what kind of gay are you so here we go as jeff mentioned we will be talking about uh conversion therapy today i sadly have had some of that experience but also i'm grateful that i didn't have some of the experiences of some of my friends so for those of you um, out there listening who maybe are not aware of what conversion therapy is, this is a movement by conservative Christians um, that says that you that you can pray away the gay or that you can experience some sort of therapy um, that will basically make you not gay. And so there are some forms that are prayer, um, prayer-based. There are others that are electroshock therapy. <laughs> There, I, there's a variety of ways in which people have done this. Um, some, some people even say things like, I acknowledge that I have homosexual feelings, but I just choose not to live into them. And they, li- they still stay in marriages and try to navigate it. But my experience with conversion therapy was when I was in college. So when I first arrived at college and started to slowly come out, I had went to a pastor and told him uh, what was going on. And he decided that uh, we should meet every week and he would pray with me. And so I would go to his office and we would shut the door and he would ask me to close my eyes and recall every gay experience I had had up to that point. And these sessions would go on for hours where I would cry and he would ask me, what do you feel now? Do you feel regret? Do you feel shame? Do you feel resentment? And of course, I felt all of those things, right? Because the church had told me I should feel that way. I should feel resentment. I should feel shame. I should feel regret. And so then we would pray. And when he would see me throughout the week, he would look at me and say, even if we were not in the safety of his office, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Or he would walk up and say, are you walking in victory today? What the hell do you say to that? Right? I, haven't heard, I haven't heard that in quite a while. That yeah. phrase is super triggering. And so this went on, guys, probably for at least at least six months. And I finally uh, got to a point where I had went to IHOP. They had International House of Prayer. And that was really creepy because uh, they they would put you in a dark room. Basically, you couldn't even see the people around you. And um, they were trying to pray the demons out, you know, or whatever, the demonic spirits. 
Sorry, I've heard of IHOP before, and I've never really known what it is because that's not connected to my background, but tons of people talk about it. So it's like a a ministry or something? It's a ministry, a prayer ministry. So it's not just for homosexuality, but it's charismatics who get together to, to pray and worship together, speak in tongues, and you go there for prayer, for healing. And so I had went a few times and nothing had happened. In fact, at one point, this old lady whispered in my ear, are you healed yet? And I lied and I said, yes. And I, I ran the hell out of there and never went back. And I'm still, I'm still meeting with this pastor who's still continuing to ask me if I'm walking in victory. Um, he's still asking me to recite every gay experience I had, hoping, I guess, maybe to, to change it. The more I talk about it, the more it's like venom that will come out of me or something. And it got to the point where it was like, either I need to, like you, I've told you this story before, but at one point, um, I thought I would end my own life. That's what it went to. Because if, if none of these prayers could heal me and I had seen crazy things happen as a young person, this, if I, this could not be taken away from me, then I was better off dead. And that is common for many of the LGBT people I know who go to these uh, conversion therapy places. You know, fortunately, like I said, I never had to go anyplace. But there are a lot of young people who end up in 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 centers and places like that where, um, and they have that same feeling of this is not working. Why? Because there's nothing fucking wrong with you, right? <laughs> there's nothing for you to be fixed from. So, um. I think that point is something that needs to be like echoed when you hear conversion therapy. It's, it's kids, right? It's adolescents. It's the, that's the majority and bulk of what this industry is aimed at. Right. Anyway, I'll just speed up and say that I finally got to a point where it was like, there was nothing broken. There's nothing wrong with you and you need to find another way. And so I ended up telling that pastor, you're not allowed to pray for me. I don't want to see you in the hallway and you ask if I'm walking in victory. I don't want to hear you say in the halls that you're praying for me. And I certainly don't want you to say that you love me. So that's my experience as uh, as one person. But um, like I said, I have lots of friends who who have had similar experiences and some that are way worse than mine, where they actually had you know, electroshock therapy done to them, which is where they put, you know, tools around your genitals and then they play uh, images of, of you know, men, let's say if you're gay, images of men up on a screen and then they're shocking you, hoping that you will, um, it will, you know, change the brain. So that's my experience. I'm wondering for you guys, I mean, I'm just looking at both of your faces and you look so sad. <laughs> um, it's so horrifying. before we move on to some of the questions, you know, the conversation, I mean, just hearing that, what does it feel like for you just to bear witness? Well, I mean, damn Casey, I'm sorry. Like that's, that's all I know how to say. One of the things that I've learned, I'm learning a lot over the last five years or so is I, I used to think for me that understanding was the most important thing. So trying to hear a story like yours and feel like, where have I experienced a little bit of that in my life so that I can relate? And what I'm learning more and more, especially in my position as a straight white male, and quite honestly, as someone that hasn't perpetuated in the past the more extreme versions of gay therapy i've conducted my fair share of accountability groups um and i put you know put quotes in that you know kind of a a mild form of that as a youth pastor that i that i hold uh, an incredible amount of guilt for but i think that in in terms of you know your story just in, in everyone's story just really stopping and listening and being like okay I don't understand, but I don't need to because I can see the look in your eyes as you tell that story. I I know how you experience those things, and that's enough. I'm sure it makes me like mad and furious and all that other stuff, but uh, as a friend, as a human being, just – I'm sorry. It makes me incredibly sad. Like 
that was Casey, the kid, you know, like you're, you're supposed to look to adults as if they're supposed to provide stability for you. And they're supposed to ground your world. And here they are actively eroding the very, like the very ground beneath their feet. And it's just hard for me to see that, I guess, and to see it um, done to people I love and people I've known. It's just hard. Um, Cause I mean, we all think that there's something wrong with us when we're kids, right? We're looking for someone to be like, no, this, you know, you're not too far out of the human experience to be considered like worthy to belong. And here you have an entire group of adults that are actively eroding your confidence and just being a human being. And that that's hard. Yeah. I think, you know, um, Alan, you were talking earlier about young people, you know, that, that the market is to young people. Um, but it would be helpful to know that where this comes out of was actually around the rise of the AIDS epidemic. So in the midst of the AIDS crisis, right, and all these evangelicals are saying that this is a plague from God, that this is God's vengeance on people, and the isolation of LGBT people, right, from families, from from friends, there's a sense in which people were longing to be healed, <laughs> Because they were afraid that, that, that they would die alone, right? Or that God had damned them. This is the, this is the, the shit that, that is like toxin, toxic for the soul, right? But I, I even think about, you know, I, I just read this article about these men who are, who are saying after the Pulse nightclub shooting that, you know, they, they prayed away the gay, right? How many of them laid on the floor of that nightclub that night? praying that that if they were to survive this that they would turn away from their sinful ways or some crazy shit you know what i'm saying it you're right when you say like it is adults it is society it is the church that is eroding the 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 road in front of us and all of that shame and all of that that stuff i mean those these these people are saying yeah after the nightclub incident i'm healed no, really, it's that you are scared for your life. <laughs> and that's what you, the conversion therapy does, is it creates right. these lo- feedback loops of post-traumatic stress. Like, it's just, it's it's tough because it creates in people those traumatic experiences, which they'll associate with, with their own identity and uh, the feedback loop. Like, yeah, sorry, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> well. I think, Casey, it's interesting that you brought up the AIDS epidemic and then also the Pulse nightclub, like these tragedies, right? Like the the AIDS epidemic was horrible and it was only compounded by people's response to it and, and demonizing a specific community only to, you know, realize that the AIDS epidemic was, you know, bigger than the gay community at that time. But I think at the heart of it, it represents the twisted logic for people that are pushing conversion therapy. It's it's the thing that drives that that mentality of love the sinner and hate the sin. Where yes, which it's, is the worst, which is like the worst phrase, hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's that's part of this twisted logic when we when we put together our ideas of heaven and hell. You know, it's worse. This is this is hard, but it's not as bad as going to hell, or it's not as bad as the right. life that's going to be right. before you. And how how twisted that gets up, and how it actually becomes like legitimately from people's perspectives, like. They've convinced themselves that they're they're acting in love. Like, I mean, look at the rhetoric surrounded around the whole Bethel Redding thing that's happening right now is a lot of the rhetoric and the stuff that they're pushing out from that church is that we want you to be your best. You know, it's all of this like language that's caught up in that twisted sense of of whatever they think love is and have convinced right. well, themselves and, wholeheartedly of it. That's right. And the and and the question for me is, what is your best? What 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 does healthy and whole look like? I often will tell people that if you want to know what real sin is, it's a closet. <laughs> like clothes were meant for closets, and that's about it. Because we know that in in the dark is where mold festers. So there is nothing healthy and whole about not telling the truth of who you are and not living into that. 
I mean, that is something that we know scientifically. I mean, AA, one of the, one of, the, uh, I have a friend who, who often reminds me in recovery, they say, you are only as sick as your secrets. And when you, when you are continuing to, to live in the closet or when you are, conti- I know, I mean, I remember being like going through this with my, repeating these stories over and over again and walking out of there and, and not feeling any different. But, but having to lie and be like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm feeling better this week. What was there to feel better about? Like what, what was broken about these experiences? The only thing that was broken was the shame that was imposed upon me. And I think that that's true for so many people, not just those of us who are LGBT. So many of our first sexual experiences come with so much shame and trauma because of the stuff that we were told about our bodies and sex. Yeah. I think it's, you talked about the science of shame and AA and uh, there, there is, there is no scientific founding for uh, gay conversion therapy or reparative therapy. Like all of the mental health professional organizations have come out and, and said together, there's not one mainstream organization who would say that, uh, same sex attraction or whatever is, um, in any way abnormal or outside the, the human experience or in any way unhealthy for somebody who is an adolescent or an adult. And it, it, the, the AIDS epidemic definitely like, solidified a lot of this conversation in the national psyche, but it's a pretty old thing, right? Like psychology way back when used to classify things in the DSM and that has changed over time. Um, but, but the, 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 the crap is, is that we haven't been freed from all of the pseudoscience. That's the problem is well, that I we mean, like LGBT people, uh, prior, I mean, prior to the, uh, the AIDS epidemic, I mean, yeah, they were doing conversion therapy, but, but many LGBT people were locked away. They were put in a in a sane asylums. They had lobotomies done. I mean, I just read just... that the Freud, he, he said that like he considered it a mental disorder, right? But by the time he was older, he reversed his position. And he was like, no, it's not like he, he had gone through and even that far back, but people continued with this idea that somehow that's like an aberration. I, I, I feel like we, we could, we could talk about this from an industry perspective and from a, a legal perspective and a scientific perspective. But the truth is, Casey, it comes down to personal experiences like yours, right? Like that's right. the I mean, 20,000 teenagers, um, will experience conversion therapy in a year. So that's where I first heard about conversion therapy. I was talking to a mental health professional in 2011, 2012, and they told me on the side that they were really worried about California because Jerry Brown was going to pass a law that banned gay conversion therapy for minors. If you were a child in California, you were not allowed to be put into one of those programs. And this mental health professional was telling me, Alan, I'm really worried How am I going to continue to do this in my practice if somebody does come to me with a child? And in that, I was like, well, what is this? And I like started to think about like the the bigger picture in it. But even though California has has outlawed it and there's 18 states now that have outlawed gay conversion therapy for minors in, in the United States, these mental health professionals so it's not just like churches, right? In their basements with, with pastors. It's also like, uh, health professionals, counselors, people who are licensed or not licensed, people all over the, all over the place have been doing reparative therapy and conversion therapy. And, uh, they're getting away with it because they articulate what they do differently. Like the, the, the founder of reparative therapy, I forgot his name. Um, he, uh, who's been doing this for like 30 years. He he said that even though those laws were passed, like, you, you know, you can't, quote unquote, change anyone therapy. You're, you're not changing anyone. So this laws don't impact what he does. And he still practices in California with therapists and licensed people working on children and they're getting away with it. And like you just said, how, how many kids are going to be at risk because of this stuff? Right. Right. And, you know, I, I deal with LGBT teens all the time whose parents say things like, well, there's this place or, um, there was young, you know, talk to this pastor who identifies as lesbian, but just doesn't, you know, they don't act on it. I love that. 
They don't act on it as if acting is the problem. <laughs> you have to act gay instead of you just are, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, there, it's it's that undercurrent of ignorance. like, And admittedly so. I remember being in that place, assuming what it was to be gay, assuming what it was to um, – to be confused, and I put that in quote, to be quote unquote confused about your gender and really falling into that. And I think it goes back to what Alan was saying too. And, and the catalyst for this conversation is its personal experience is really hearing and listening and taking at face value what people say and how they experience the world and not try to convince them that they're wrong or the, they're in a bad place because it doesn't fit whatever worldview you've constructed. I mean, I mean, none of us were on the episode uh, with Linda K. Klein that that Bonnie did, but it's interesting to me uh, when we talk about purity culture how it was framed for certain people, right? Clearly, purity culture had its impact on women in the way that it presented them as servient and always responsible for everyone else's sexuality or temptation or whatever. And I can't imagine what kind of how that affected. Uh, gay students, you know, and how, cause I, I remember how it was presented to me, how it was presented to me is that when you do this, you're living into your purpose. You're a protector, you're a warrior, you, you go out there and you do that. And when I fell and messed up, it was always, uh, yeah, I felt a lot of guilt and shame, but the rhetoric when I messed up was, you know, like, we, why do we fall so we can get back up again? Right. It was, it was, it was posed in like a superhero thing where those, those struggles that I went through was framed as, well, that's going to make you stronger and move forward. So I had this reason to move forward, but to be presented in, in another way where I can't imagine like Casey, how, how was those things framed for you when, when you were presented with those talks growing up in high school? Right. So, um, you all have heard me say before, Jesus was my beard, right? So I had a purity ring. Um, and I, uh, I just dated Jesus all four years of high school. I knew that I wouldn't, me dating a girl would just never work. That would never work out. Um, and so I just devoted myself to my faith, but I was definitely every teenage boy in my youth group's accountability buddy, you know? Um, because they had, they had to, you know, that's the bizarre shit that we had to do, right? We had to go tell adults or other teens about our masturbatory ways, right? As a way of cleansing. It so wasn't I, just your church. Like you and I are the same age. I did the same thing. I had a group of, of men, of, of young boys who had to get together and talk about what they did, when they did it, how they did it with people who were older than us. And that's, that's like, I, I mean, never miss those meetings. You really, <laughs> meetings. you know, what? but you posted it's fascinating recently. to me. I, I was never in a situation where specifics were required. In fact, in all the situations that I was in, it was You're always, old. you avoid specifics and you just use the general terms mm. um, like that. No. When you, when you guys say that, like it creeps me out because like, yeah. it feels like it that creepy. person is not asking specifics for any other reason, but because they're so repressed that they need a, a release by hearing that stuff. It's really creepy to me. I, and I, yeah. that's, it's interesting that both of you had that same experience. Part of the idea is that, you know, you bring it out from hiding so you can expose it and work through it. And that's what, that's what conversion therapy is about is like recounting everything that has happened. And so you can somehow reframe it and deal with it. But, but the like, but what you get is people asking you to have no boundaries. Casey, you recently posted like, you know, the only people that, that, that don't want you to have boundaries are the people that have benefited. I can't even imagine being in a ministry where people are asked to articulate all of their sexual experiences to a group or to like older people in the youth group. But like that, that happens so much. I even, I even had a friend who said he went to a Bible college where they would have hand signals for whether they had masturbated that day or not. And so when they're passing each other and that's the kind of thing I came from, I came from a pretty fundamentalistic background, especially in regard to sex. Like, we were actually told by my youth pastor at a camp. I remember very vividly. It's like a, it was a winter camp and we we're listening to the preaching. And he basically told everybody, if you're not careful with how many times you masturbate or how often you like have lust in your heart, you will end up being gay. And so all of the, the boys in my youth group thought like that was – we were told that was like the last step until you're like outside of the norms of what – sex was created to be. And so I can't imagine my friends who are sitting there in that group hearing that messaging. And that's 
that's how, you know, that's their experience. It's, if it was horrifying to me, I can't believe what it, what it did to them. So you guys, I mean, you guys sort of alluded to this, but so I, I would like to hear, I mean, your, your own conversations with young people about homosexuality. I I never I'll, I'll let Jeff go. I I never talked someone into going to conversion therapy. I was never a part of like counseling students to to change their sexuality or any like I didn't have those conversations. What I had was someone who was my peer when I was older, maybe in like 2008 or so, who himself was trying desperately hard not to be gay. And I was his accountability partner. And eventually I was like, whatever is happening right here is completely wrong. There's there's no way that this can be good for the community, good for him. This is not what love is like. And so he actually helped me work through a lot of my stuff. But I never never was a part of that for students in my youth group. I spent most of my time facilitating groups. So encouraging guys to get together on their own and never doing many of them myself. I did have people in my on my youth staff and students who quote unquote were struggling and and similar to Alan uh, one of my youth staff really was instrumental in in me changing my views in this particular area um and and journeying with him that in not with him in the ways like well you know I worked with a pastor once who said it was, you know, more difficult for him to accept homosexuality than it was for his gay friend to come out. And, uh, and so not to equate that, but, uh, as, as we, my friend and I journeyed together, I, I learned a lot and I think he learned a lot. And I think we, we came to acceptance at the same, roughly the same time. Um, but obviously much more profound for him, uh, because it was, uh, so connected to some vile, things that were thrown at him while we were working with students together. And it wasn't even like he was, he had come out or accepted, like he was doing all the things you're quote unquote supposed to do. He was going to Exodus international. He was doing all these things to, to, you know, work on himself. And it was, it was his testimony and he was still treated like a, not even a second class citizen. He was treated as like a 10th class citizen just because of his testimony and and it got into that place of you know that that horrible correlation. Well, if you're gay, you must also be a pedophile. And well, this person can't work with our students because this is what they struggle with. And it was really heartbreaking. And it was also in the, at the at the heart. And I think I've talked about this before, but it was in the midst of that uh, Proposition Eight that happened here in California. And uh, that that first step for me was like, who? Why do we? Why should we care? Who's going to get married? And um, Unfortunately, it was under the guise of, you know, if we're going to reach, if we're going to reach this community, we should walk with them. And I don't know. It's just so, you know, know the thing that makes me the most upset about that, those are the same people who will say, look, when, when you, uh, choose quote unquote, choose to be gay, you're more likely to be disconnected from people or, you know, have like, like suffer, uh, the, Depression, depression, and 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 That's be right. exposed to things like suicide, and and but they're the same people who are are uh, excommunicating people from their lives, from their families, right. from their communities, That's and right. it's like that. If you want to talk about pseudoscience, that pseudoscience, your 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 correlation does not equal causation. In fact, it's the very teachings and theology that that you espouse, and what you do to the people that you supposedly love that causes them to be disconnected and ashamed and have no community. Right. There's a really great book called The Velvet Rage, um, and it's a, a psychologist who has done 20 years of research um, with gay men. And he says, you know, you can go into a bar and basically really quickly find out who has communities of support and who doesn't, who's who have families who love them and accept them, whose churches or other communities they find support and love in, because they're not taking those risky experiences. They're not getting super wasted and going home and making dangerous choices. That's not always the case, right? We all get drunk and make choices that maybe we'd regret tomorrow. But but his real point is, it's not that they are lonely because they are gay. It's they are gay. And because of that, there's a 
a culture, a society that has has left them in the margins. It's never been safe to be gay in our country. That's like, right. That's right. Ever. And so rage or shame is where the is the default for most gay men. Mm. Rage or shame. Um, and they will play those out. I highly recommend the book for anybody who's reading who might be interested. What's it called? Uh, the Velvet Rage. But it's true. I mean, um, my even my own in my own life, my standard for the men I was dating changed when my parents became accepting. Because it, then I felt accountable, like I had to bring someone home worth bringing home. For so much of my early years of dating, I dated closeted men. Um, and men who just weren't going anywhere in life. Because I didn't feel responsible to my family, because they didn't care. They were pretty clear that they didn't want to know the men I was dating. All I had to do was have sex with them and bring them to my friends. And my friends would love me no matter what, you know? And when when my, my mom stepped in and began to say, who are you dating? <laughs> so I've made some interesting uh, dating choices. And it really changed when, when my family showed up in my life and my church. You know, I was a part of the UCC by then when I really started dating. Um, and it made a big difference because I had, to sh- I had people that I was accountable to. Hmm. What do you think it is? In the sense that, like, one of the common threads that I always experienced, especially when it came to parents whose kids came out, is that I can't go to their wedding or I can't do that because I can't let them know that I support what they do. Like, I don't understand where we got to a point where we feel as though our – like, people need our permission to do something or, like, doing something like that is going to bring them – quote unquote, into the fold. I think I've said that a lot this episode, quote unquote, because I don't want, uh, but it's like, where, where do we like, what, what is that? Why, why is it so important for things to have our approval or not have our approval? And I'm, I'm really wrestling with this lately because I feel like, you know, it's such a, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, It comes from the idea that everything's a war. Like you're told in church constantly that there's this war going on and you have to be on the right side of the war constantly. And it's in your homes. It's in your relationships. So you come to every like exchange with, am I on the right fighting battle side for this person's eternal destination? You know, you can't ever be fraternizing with the enemy. I have that happens in my family too. People are like, oh, I can't go to that wedding because of X, Y, Z. And it's, it's interesting. That's a, I, I also I hmm. wonder how much of it is cultural shame, right? Mm, that's if, interesting. If, if I show up, if I show up to to my gay child's wedding, not only does he live outside of community, then I'm forced out there also. And and that's not even touching on some people's own internal homophobia, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, oftentimes the people who are most vehement, most against, are the ones who you know get caught having sex in the family van. That's actually one of the reasons why I came out in the first place was because of Ted Haggard. Uh, when he got busted, I didn't want to be that guy, and I knew I knew I would be. Like if I didn't do the hard work of telling the truth of my life, I someday would have a family and a big beautiful ministry, and it would be ruined because I'd be boning some person in the back of the family van. I just didn't want that. So those people who often are the most vehement, if you have seen, um, even what I think is hilarious is, um, the movie Jesus, Jesus camp, Ted Haggard is in that movie. I forgot all about that movie. And he, he actually makes a bunch of like gay jokes. Right. In the, and then like a year and a half later, he got busted, which I think is great. But, um, For any listener yeah, I mean, that wants to watch that movie, by the way, just a trigger warning, it is rough. It's worth watching, but it is hard. It is hard. So, yeah, I would say it's 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 facing f- facing the the idea that you, too, could be put outside of community or you, too, would have to deal with your own internal homophobia. Rarely does it actually have to do with I'm worried about my child going to hell. I really, I really think that that is, that is just like the surface level. I think you're right. This is like reframing my, my brain about this. It is a a personal fear about themselves. It's not just a fear of, of somehow saying what you're doing is okay, my child, and therefore I'm contributing to your sinning. It's about them. It's, it's fear about 
like you're saying, be put outside the community or something's wrong with them or somehow it's going to affect them. I certainly feel like that's definitely true for people who hold on, like get to the point where they actually disown their children. But then I feel like there are people and, and just from my experience that there are people who genuinely feel that, you know, they don't want their kid to go to hell. And those are the ones that that tend to change their minds pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. When they get to a place and they're like, you know what? Nope, that was that was wrong. And I think that that's where it comes to uh, the leadership of churches and their responsibility, because I think that those people have power over the general audiences of their church in a lot of ways. And uh, that even even to have to put people in a place where even for a moment they're not supportive of their children is, you know, what does Jesus say about that? You know, tie tie a stone right. around your neck and, you know, throw yourself into the ocean. And that's why people need to keep like talking to their churches and to those families and telling them conversion therapy is dangerous. Conversion therapy is dangerous. And they need to remind people like you're not actually looking out for your kid and maybe they'll listen and maybe they'll you're look at their research. Kid. Yeah. You're potentially killing your child. And not just that, it's illegal in 18 different states. So if you're a listener and you come across a, a child who's experiencing that, it's that's not legal because it is putting them at risk. Well, I think the other, it should be even more explicit than that in terms of people who, because I know a lot of people who are in churches who are very clear about their stance on the LGBTQ community. And it's not just saying conversion therapy is bad. It's that this theology is bad. Like, cause they'll just find a new way to emotionally torture someone that isn't like an official program or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of forms of abuse and uh, conversion therapy, unfortunately takes a violent turn a lot of the time, but it can still be emotional and manipulative and, and verbal in a lot of ways without even putting it in an official setting. Like a sermon against homosexuality is a form of conversion therapy as far as I'm concerned. That's right. That's Absolutely. Right. Neglect. I mean, right. Mm. Uh, I hear lots of stories. I hear lots of stories from young people all the time who they, they, they're outed or they come out and their parents immediately, the relationship change changes in dramatic ways. And these young people are not just ostracized and kicked out of their church communities. They're living in homes where they basically are living alone. They have been shut out from the emotional connection to their parents. I mean, this is why, you know, I, I went to the Rockland School Board meeting, right? Why I, I, um, I mean, I was in the advocate for that this summer. Uh, because uh, I, I was saying, look, if church is not safe, if home is not safe, the only other place where young people have a chance to survive, to hear a different message, is school. Yeah, we we had uh, uh, the Sacramento um, – I can't remember what the, the group is, Casey. The, there's a community group in Sacramento. PFLAG. That sent, maybe PFLAG. I think it was like uh, a community center um, came and sent speakers – Tell Grove, and I got to go for some of the educators. Oh, the LGBT here. Center. Yeah, and they did this this exercise where you had a star, and there's like five points, and you write down like you know your your someone that's really close to you in your family, like a friend, a job you've always wanted, like several different things, and then everybody's coming out experience is different, right? And you sacrifice all these different things, and maybe you don't get this point, but you, but you have another one. And, and as we're folding and I'm thinking, I'm like, Oh my God, if there's one safe person in a student's life who is coming out and in the process of that and adolescence, that relationship, like it makes me sad. Cause like that, that relationship is so important. Right. That's right. And, and, and it changes the quality of that relationship. It like, I don't know. It, it's a, it, it really expanded my mind. Like I think as, as, pastors or friends or just, yeah, just friends or people working in school. If you are that safe relationship, you, you matter so much um, to people who are experiencing that isolation. And I, and I know that it's like a, an individual experience, but I'm also interested in the industry perspective. Like we had mentioned it before that the very people who are isolating folks are also making millions of dollars through reparative therapy and, and conversion therapy. There's a giant industry built around it, and Bethel has made it worldwide now, like to a new extent that it hasn't been before with their changed or changed movement where they're creating communities of people who have gone through the reparative process or whatever and have these testimonies of being healed. And so they're trying to cultivate like a positive spin on it and these communities of support for people who are, you know, trying to pull people in 
around the world. And the thing is that they'll, they'll blur the lines between kids and adults. And I know it's bad for adults too, you know, but you can do what you want with your life. What it's, amazes me is, um, you know, Bethel's picking this back up when some of the founders of like Love One Out and stuff like that have all come out and are and apologizing. I just listened to a podcast this week called Unerased, um, talking about conversion therapy. And one of those guys, he not only came out and apologized, but he's like married, been married to his partner for like five years. He like came out of the closet, went back in and got married, came out. I mean, he's been in and out. And then he finally realized like, what, what's the point? Right. I mean, one of the last points that I really want to make is, um, you know, I, we all have done youth ministry. And when we talk about young people who've cut, right? A lot of times those, those physical scars are signs of, of a lot of internal tor- turmoil. Um, a lot of anxiety and pain that's happening both internally and externally. Pressures from home or, or bullying or whatever. And I really want to just drive the point home that, um, what kind of external pressures are you receiving? What kind of shame and guilt and pain are you receiving that you would be willing to put shockers on your genitals and allow someone to shock you over and over and over again as a way to release some, try to release something out of you? I didn't know how common that was and how much it was practiced, like how far in history it is uh, up to this point has been practiced. It seems like a, 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 article of the past but it's not yeah well i think then there's the other side of that that's just as nefarious where you have churches like hillsong who lure people in without being very specific about what they believe and give them this community and give them this purpose and give them this work and then when it comes down to it reject them for the thing that they let them believe was okay up to a certain point, which is, I think it's the important work of, of church clarity that they're calling out these churches to say, say what you mean so we can, you know, see where you're at. Because I think that that's just as damaging where you've brought someone into this community and then you eventually tell them after you've given them every sign that it was okay. Like it's, it's like, uh, I think that there's a lot of things that churches are doing under the guise of love, whether it's clearly abusive and outright about what they're doing, like Bethel, or just a false sense of security, like like Hillsong. I'm really concerned for the people in churches who don't know what's going on in their church. Like there right. are people who right. have, if if you don't have a child or you personally are not looking for reparative therapy, you'll never encounter it probably at your church. But your church may be like a pipeline from adolescence to these kind of conversion camps and stuff. And you just don't know. So if you're a part of a community, go ask, like do, do the work of finding out whether, whether your church supports that. Cause who knows, they may have people who are completely involved. It's the same thing with like, what was that thing back in the day, raising kids God's way, which is like this basically extremely unhealthy, illegal, like torturous way of raising children and come to think of it, wow, I'm in a church that some people practice this and are, are giving it out from a from a, a public – anyway, I'm interested in educating and helping people discover what conversion therapy is and then to, to find out whether or not they're associated with it without even knowing. And hold their churches accountable. Mm-hmm. Right. Or get the hell out. Or right. Exactly. Out. Because that, with you. that tithing says more than you. anything. Right. Yeah. I mean that um I I you know you guys know where I am in the the community I serve and I can't tell you how many LGBT people have showed up at my church and said I've been invited by neighbors to these big fancy churches and uh and then I call the next day and say hey would I be welcome there and they will say absolutely you know you you and your family would be totally welcome oh great but you can't become a member. You can never serve on any on any leadership team. Um, all, we want your money, right? We'll take your money, um, but we don't want your your input. I mean, it's just it's and, so and they'll bad. be there for three to four years before the sermon comes out that basically puts them on blast, right? Like they won't say anything, and then suddenly all the relationships that that, that they've built over the years, and, correct? And they go through. Gone an incredibly isolating experience like with their children. Maybe they'll try to hang on because their kids are going there. And, and 
if if you evaluate things as to like how damaging it is for your mental health or the chances of it like um impacting your life significantly, going to church might be like one of the most dangerous things you can do <laughs> to be honest and i'm saying that as a as someone as a pastor i make my living at, at a church but i think that um i think that the risk of isolation for people who are going to those kinds of churches is so high so what would i want to say to any person who's listening who has either had this experience or knows someone who is you know they may be there in places where they're hearing these conversations happening right the first thing is, I'm actually going to quote scripture, Alan, so you'll be happy to hear that. Oh, my God. Um, and that is uh, that perfect love casts, casts out fear. Amen. Sorry. Right? I don't say amen very often. That's my one amen <laughs> per, uh, per quarter. Uh, but, but legitimately. Yeah. Um, and the fear that a young person is going through, the fear of rejection, the fear that they will be unloved or unworthy of love by telling their truth keeps them in the dark and keeps them in silence. And what we are to be doing as adults is to offer that love, right? To allow them the courage by just loving them as they are. That that is really important. And to and as you said at the beginning of the episode, people's experience matters. Like if you are still someone who struggles with oh, I can't believe I'm Jana choke saying this but if you if you st- struggle with with the people in your life who are LGBT maybe it's time for you to shut up and listen. Uh, you and Jeff you said that too, you know? This isn't this isn't about your opinion about our lives and the way we live them. Fortunately, it's not the life you have to live. And lastly, uh, I, re- I remember being in seminary and a professor saying something like, you know, I'm tired of people saying that it's a choice being gay. But if I had to make a choice, I would make this choice all over again, because it's the best damn choice I've ever made. And I just echo that with amen. We are whole people worthy of love, um, no matter how you receive that love. And I think it's important for people to to just live into the best versions of themselves. And that starts by just living your authentic truth. Humanity's not broken, right? Humanity's not broken and it is beautiful in its expressions. And to completely isolate one part of us is to isolate all of us. That's right. And the only real therapy that needs to be happening is one that um, invites you into being more true to yourself and, and sharing what your real needs are. Um, and being able to find within yourself that voice that says you are good and you are whole and you are loved. That's that's the real work. Not you are broken and fucked up and we're going to shock the shit out of you until you're better. Couldn't have said it better myself. Casey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think there's a lot here to think through, to go through. I, I would encourage everyone to... Add your voice to this particular conversation. You can comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 150. Uh, also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like follow and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 150. Uh, on the other side of music, we're going to be doing a segment led by Casey, and we're going to figure out what kind of gay person we are. Uh, so <laughs> I, <laughs> you guys are already blushing. I love it. <laughs> right. Well, Okay, yeah, let's just get to the segment. So here's here's the music. <laughs> so, as we mentioned before the music, this is a, a segment that Casey said that we are already blushing for. And I just want to say, and I know that this is like... You know, this is this not for homophobic reasons that we're blushing about this is that we're genuinely concerned as straight white. Well, don't I don't want to for me. I don't want to speak for Alan, but Thank I'm genuinely you. concerned as a straight white male that I am coming off as insensitive. But I'm trusting my uh, good look, friend. This was my idea. I know. This was my I know, idea. I know. And I, I think it will it would be good for each of you to know what kind of gay you would be. OK. All right. This is the, this is something you can share when you are with friends at Red Robin. You know, you can just say, do you know what kind of gay you are? And they'll say, I never thought of that. And it opens up for a whole conversation. Casey, okay, so you, I, you had me at Red ready. Robin, so I'm, I'm ready. 
<laughs> there you go. So join the conversation. I'm going to serve up some clucks and fries and, and let's do this. <laughs> All right. So you did you take your, your test? Uh, I'm doing it right now, I guess. Okay. Oh, so I thought you were going to guide you, us through the like, test. I thought you were going to... Oh, oh, and then I'm gonna read. Oh my and then lord! I'm gonna read it for you. This I thought it was gonna be a surprise. I didn't. I didn't do the test. I thought you were gonna read us. Like you were gonna ask the question, enter it in, and then tell me, like instruct oh. me. You were gonna be. I my think we're doing it at the same time. This is. You should pull it up, Jeff. I think we all three yeah. should be looking at this. This is I great, agree. and you should leave all of this in. So let's go to this website. You go to the first question, and then Casey can read the question for us. And, and we'll put we'll... it in the show notes if anyone's interested uh, at irandycast.com slash 150. 150, by the way. Did we did we acknowledge hey, that this is 150 no. episodes of Irenicast? I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of talking. That's a milestone <laughs> right there. For some of us. I love for it. Some of us. For some of us. More than others. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Okay, so Choose, it says, so, let's start, so, right? So I click, so, let's start. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Choose the personality that best describes you. So which one are you, Jeff? Well, you, you should give us the options. Okay, so the it's rebellious, submissive, passive, uptight, bitchy, emotional, dominant, or inspirational. Hmm. Okay. I think I got this. Do I? I do you okay. want me to say it out loud? Yeah. What click the... on your. Yeah, but okay. I want to hear your answers too. I'm, I'm <laughs> clicking I, I don't on know rebellious. What my answer would be, Jeff. Yeah, you're rebellious. I'm either emotional. <laughs> or dominant i'm gonna go with emotional yeah good call okay i agree don't so say means- yeah good call how dare you I, family doesn't Alan, get i was really hoping for dom bro really that's a, that's I, a gay so term when, I, dom, when i'm unhealthy dominant. right i go to the enneagram eight i could be like that so you're but... an unhealthy top is that what you're saying wow <laughs> there are dom bottoms also Jeff. no i'm Oh, um, definitely emotional. So I, so I had a teenager this week tell me that I was very inspirational. So I went with inspirational. You are inspirational. You are Casey. inspirational, Absolutely. Casey. That's a good one. I thank you. I appreciate that. Choose the activity that best describes you: <laughs> relaxing at home, researching. That would be Jose, my partner. Enjoying a glass of wine, chilling with the besties, tweeting and facebooking, clubbing, hanging out, or gym. Mind you, these are all dr- dramatic gay stereotypes. I'm sure some of our listeners by now are just mortified. But so I'm I'm relaxing at home and researching just because everything interests me in the whole you world. You get to pick one, Alan. Um, I'm gonna go with researching just because I want to be want to be like Jose. Okay, Jeff. What about you? I'm going with hanging out. I like to hang out with people. Just yeah, Jeff's a hang out hanger outer. Hang out hanger-outer. at his house so much over the years. Yes, I am finding that I enjoy relaxing at home, so that's the one I clicked. Choose the music music genre that best describes you. Classic, rap, reggae, everything, country, dance, mainstream, pop. I see classics. Okay. I think I'm going to go with classics just because I like instrumental music, and that's the only one that looks like instrumental. Where? Because I have a very weird taste. Where's... There, I feel like there's some lack in the terms of the thing here. So I guess for now, I know. <laughs> we always have lack in these tests, Jeff. All right. I'll go, I'm going to go with rap. Everybody knows there's only eight kinds of music, Jeff. There was no rock or metal <laughs> on there. Like, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a pretty obvious glaring miss there. You put country there. Come on, come on, please. You would be surprised that there are gay Republicans. All right. I, I said everything. I said everything. Okay. So choose the video genre. Jeff, this is a great question for you. That describes you. Are you an adventure, a horror, uh, science fiction, an LGBT film, a classic, a romance, a comedy, or an action film? This is tough. It best describes me. This is like asking Jeff to pick one of his children. It's Sophie's choice right here. In a way. Well, it helps that the the question is describes me as like a person. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with comedy because I feel like there's a lot of leverage there to express other things, but then, Great. so yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go comedy. Okay. What about you, Alan? What are you I'm, doing? I'm weird. So I'm going to do science fiction. It's both my favorite of those categories and probably describes me best. Um, I'm going to put, uh, that I, my life is an LGBT film because sometimes <laughs> it feels like it has been. Okay. So here we go. You have a great story, Casey. Oh my God. Wait, what's your favorite LGBT film? Just curious. Uh, okay. So, uh, first of all, um, I really love Rent. 
Rent was another, uh, the musical really helped me come out because that was the year that uh, Rent came out in the theaters and I had never seen it. And I just sat in that theater. I felt like I was in church and just cried and cried and cried. Is that the um, movie that goes 21,600 yeah, yeah. minutes? <laughs> that should be, that <laughs> should definitely be the, <laughs> the <laughs> open, the cold open. Alan singing Rent. All right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but um, the very first gay film that I ever saw was when I was in high school, and it was called Latter Days. It's very sensual, but it's about um, uh, a Mormon missionary who is on his mission in Los Angeles and realizes he's gay. Wow. And he goes through electroshock therapy. You could put it in the show notes. Um, it's it's a very powerful film. It can be graphic, but it's worth watching. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Check it out. Choose the drink that best describes you. Let's see. I'm offended. Shots. I'm looking at this list right now, and coffee is not on it. I think this is a... <laughs> oh, my God. It, it isn't on it. Glaring. <gasps> Whoa. Uh, that, this is a faulty test. I don't this know, is not going to give you the best There's only eight type of be. drinks in the world. Okay, so so um, what are you going to be, Alan? What, 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 what are the lists? tell the listeners what the options are? Yes. Uh, bar, rail drinks, wine, soda. Top shelf liquor, tea, water, beers, and shots. The drink that best describes me is probably tea, because if you're my one of my friends, um, unfortunately, you know the truth that things are never not intense with me. So, <laughs> caffeine best describes my personality. Always excited. Nice. I'm gonna go with soda because I'm. I'm generally a sweet person, but if you drink me too Aww. fast, it's going to irritate your nose. <laughs> <laughs> It'll irritate your stomach. Because <laughs> there's a bite to that carbonation, but that's, that's right. I'm going to go Jeff, with Jeff, I just think you're, you're, you're easily enjoyable. Everybody can enjoy yeah. a soda. That's right. The, Refreshing. the most second most common word known in all of the world is Coca-Cola. The first one is Okay. Jeff, you're just you anyway, are. I thought that was you, fascinating. You are um, someone that everyone enjoys to pass around. I, <laughs> I chose wine because um, because I feel like uh, these notes are complex, baby. You know, nice wow. red or white, Casey. Red always, red. always. There you go. Okay, I'm clicking right. T. Here we go. Choose the type of food that best describes you. Anything, fast food, dine-in, barbecue, protein shakes, takeout, <laughs> salad, home cooking. Again, I'm I'm probably anything, just because I'm all over the place. Okay, that's the food that best describes my personality. I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna hide the results. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Okay. Sorry Jeff, what about you? I'm gonna say fast food. I'm I I feel like it describes me in terms of efficiency. Like I get stuff out there, <laughs> get it done. You Manildes, man. I'm going I'm going <laughs> I'm going fast food. I, I'm I'm gonna say um I'm going to say home cooking because there is something homey about me. Absolutely. People feel at home with me, I guess. All right, here we go. Drum roll. <laughs> Here this is go. not me. <laughs> okay, mine's loading. All right. <laughs> oh, what dang. Kind of, okay. Okay, what kind of gay are you, uh, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> I am a gay thug. So uh-huh. you are about the hard life. Uh, should I read the description? Is that yes, Okay. Please. So it says the pros are you're about that hard life. You know the struggle of life, but you embrace what is to come from it. You like to play, but you can be serious when you need to be. You respect what you have and are grateful that you earned it. You never take anything for granted, and you never let a day go by without living it to its fullest. The cons, you may live a life a little too hard and fall completely to the breaking point. Totally, Jeff. (laughs) All right. Okay, Alan, go ahead. It says I'm the mean gay. Oh, interesting. Let's hear about <laughs> I, didn't, that. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's the mean gay is uh, I am. Everyone wants to be me, which is true. Um, everyone <laughs> oh wants God. to look like me. <laughs> I have the perfect body, of course, the best looking friends, because those are the only kinds I make. And I travel to many different places. 
I'm the image of the gay people, and I love the attention that I receive. And I have the most encounters of all gays. Encounters. Uh, <laughs> I love that word. I don't know why. Uh, the other day I was using the word encounter, and someone literally stopped me and was like, can you just stop saying encounter? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. My cons, I may never find true love, which is also true. You will become bitter in the end. You have no real friends, and you won't learn something until it's too late. Wow, wow. That's, pretty pretty rough. I think yeah, that these is are, this is a terrible test. The <laughs> opposite of what Alan is in every <laughs> way, shape, and form. <laughs> I know. Interesting. All you, right, Casey? Casey. I'm the rainbow gay. Um, <laughs> you are the activist of the gays, fighting for all the things that are right. You're making this up. There's no, no. way. Because you, you believe in were the 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 pride parade. Uh, I know, isn't this leader. ridiculous? This is great. You believe in equality, not only for gays but for everyone. You are a social butterfly, easy to talk to, and extremely friendly. Your cons: people may find you really annoying, full of shit, <laughs> or too perky. So there you go. That one's kind of right on, above. Casey. Like we, we went from. <laughs> I know it's like. That's good. what is the picture? Because there's a there's a picture up on mine. Mine is just people waving rainbow flags. Okay, Alan, so what I was actually hoping this test was going to be is like, oh, are you a bear or an otter oh, or a twig? Yeah. Right, that would be really fun. So maybe at another time we'll take that test, or our listeners will be so sick of these stupid tests that they'll say never again. Right, I know the the last one we did was was interesting. Alan, what was the picture on yours? Did you say? Uh, I don't know who this is, but I don't know any celebrity, so don't don't judge me. I don't think it's a celebrity, uh, is it? Courtney Act. Caught in the act. Courtney Act. Yeah, that's Courtney a RuPaul act. drag queen. Yeah. yeah, it says Courtney Act Mean Gaze. One of the entourage. Mine is you? Two, uh, two gangsters from Atlanta. I can tell because of their hat, and they're they're snuggling up on the uh, on the subway. Looks Do like their hats say gangster on top. No, I mean, but like they, they got that. saggy jeans, oversized shirts, you know, hat turned to the side. They got their bling okay, I on. do have to say one thing. One of my favorite things about evangelicals, <laughs> there's not there's not many these days, is how they portray like sinners. You know, there's like graffiti on the wall and there's like someone sagging their pants or someone has a tattoo. That stuff never gets old. Super well, I, that is a term, though. I do. I would say that. the um, So thug is sort of like a that's like a racist term. Right. Oh, totally. Yes, it is. Um, and it's something to acknowledge that. Um, I mean, w- there's an opportunity here to talk about uh, the LGBT community and their deep connection to racism um, and transphobia. The white cisgendered gay men have a lot of work to do. Also, we can. That is a whole nother episode that I would love to do. You should definitely do that. Including, That's- I want to do another episode on coming out as a spiritual practice. So, if people are interested in. And hearing about that, let us know. Let us know. And with that, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, if you found value in our show and would like to support us, check us out at irenacast.com slash support. Uh, there you'll find all kinds of new ways to support the show, including a brand new PayPal link that we have. If you feel like we brought value to your life and you would like to, to donate a little bit, we will always offer this show for free. However, it is not free to put it on. We do put, we pay for hosting and all that kind of stuff. So if you'd like to support us, that'd be great. There's also on that page, a link to our Amazon affiliate link. So next time you're going to go shop through Amazon, go ahead and click on that and it'll take you right to Amazon and just shop as usual. And we'll receive a small portion of that. And then finally, we have a store. We have a merch store. If you go to irenacast.com slash store, it'll take you to our Tee Public page. And we've we've populated it with some fun designs. Can I uh, tell you that it makes me feel so dirty to even have merch? But they're so cool. <laughs> right. They're so fun. I'm going to buy it. And and I agree. Like, th- th- I think this is uncomfortable for all of us in a certain way. Like, you know, we're not, you know we have a lot of things going on in the behind the scenes and but we just think it's it's fun and we've you heard should buy my merch right we've heard so many great things from so many of you listeners that are listening yeah. and how encouraging you've for been real. to us for being encouraging to you and uh you know the things that you love you want to you want to rep in, in some way so we we put some merch and, out there and and let's be honest this uh clergy drag <laughs> shirt or sticker look what i want to challenge people to do is to is buy those clergy drag stickers and post them. Please post them on conservative Christian campuses. Please. 
and take a picture. I want to see where these end up. Or the shirt and take a picture of it in front That's of right. That's right. <laughs> Liberty I, I University. That... <laughs> yes. I will I seriously will uh I will like DoorDash for you. If you can get a picture of you in one of those shirts in front of <laughs> Liberty University, I will DoorDash to you. You've heard it. Send in your pictures of your shirt with Casey's face and clergy drag in one of those spaces. And Casey's gonna uh, make you a home cooked meal. <laughs> hallelujah. Right. Exactly. Uh so Again, check that out. Go to irenacast.com slash support, and it shows you all the ways that you can help out the show. Uh, but we're still going to do the show. We still love all our listeners. And if you don't want to do any of that, just keep listening. Subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and so many more. And while you're there, if the platform allows it, leave a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you uh, about the show. So... Uh, yeah, check that out. We have some cool stuff there. You'll be seeing it a little bit more on our Facebook page. We'll kind of let you know what's going on. And uh, don't forget to email us if you want to be a part of the street team and find out what that's about at podcast at com. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. And I'm Casey. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.